Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew we'll... A song we'll sing. This song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I want to be in your section when we sing that. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 John chapter 2. Do you like taking tests? Aren't you glad you're out of school? You know, some people have a phobia about tests. It's called testophobia. And they actually freeze up when they pass out tests. And there have been tests that have ridiculous questions on them. Let me give you a couple examples. This is actually taken from an exam, a history exam. Describe the history of the papacy from its origins to present day, concentrating on its social, political, economic, religious, and philosophical impact on Europe, Asia, America, and Africa. Be concise, specific, and brief. That question's not even brief. Here's another one, probably from an astronomy class or a philosophy class. Define the universe. Give three examples. And sometimes a question you think is an easy answer isn't always easy. For example, how long did the 100 years war last? 116 years. Or where are Panama hats made? Not in Panama, Ecuador. From what animal do we get cat gut? Not from cats, sheeps, sheeps, sheep and horses. In what month do Russians celebrate the October Revolution? <laughs> November. What color? I had this one given to me after the last service. What color is the black box on an airplane? It's orange. What was King George's first name? King George IV's first name. Albert. (laughs) And finally, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Y'all afraid to say it's Grant. He's still in there. We take driver's test. We take eye test, drug test. We take personality tests, policemen have to take tests to stay proficient, shooting, medical professional, uh, professionals, professional, that's not even a word, <laughs> medical professionals, I've started to say per- personnel and professionals at the same time, so that's professional, isn't it? Um, they have to stay up with continuing education to keep abreast of the new technology and the new discoveries. John said there's a couple of tests to show that you're a believer. Not to be a believer, but proves that you are a born-again Christ follower. It's not an external test. It's an internal test. Now, last week, the Scripture talked about if you're saved, if you are born again, you follow Jesus, you want to obey the Lord. You want to. You love God. You want to obey Him. And then... He begins to focus in on a specific one. 
this week, and that is love. And all of these tests show that you're a born-again believer. They give you assurance. Trying to live the Christian life without assurance, David Allen said, is like driving a car with the brakes on. You don't have any victory. You don't have any joy. You, you're always worried about things. Today, we're going to focus in on one of the commandments that we're supposed to follow. Look at verse 7, 1 John chapter 2. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The first truth we see is the precept or the principle of love. John is talking to believers and he's focusing in on the principle of love and he's saying that one of the surest signs that you're a follower of Jesus is the love that's shown in your life. Now, we use the word love so cheaply. The English word for love just doesn't cover it anymore. I mean, think about how many ways that you use the word love. I love ice cream. I love my dog. I love the Texas Tech. I love my wife. I love my children. I love football. I love hunting. I love this and everything you go. But this kind of love's different. It's not the kind of love that has any emotions with it. It's a choice, and we're going to look at it. First, John talks about something old. He said, I'm not writing something that's brand new to you. It's an old commandment, which you've heard from the beginning. You go back to Leviticus in the Old Testament, and you find that, that, this, uh, that, Jesus, that God said, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that's the very verse that Jesus used when a group of Pharisees tried to come and trick him. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they were the ones that claimed to be able to interpret the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. And what they did, they created 365 have-nots and 250 commandments, prohibitions. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this. And then 250 things that you are to do. And then they sent a little group to Jesus to try to trick him. And they said, Jesus, out of all these 365 do-nots and these 250 do's, which one's the greatest? And Jesus quoted part of Leviticus. And he, it's, it's recorded in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Adam broke the first commandment in the garden when he chose to love his wife more than love God or to love himself more than he loved God and disobeyed God in the garden. Cain is guilty of the second one, the second commandment, breaking it, love your neighbor as yourself, 
When God asked him about his brother Abel, he gave the answer that so many people today give. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't care about anybody else. And so we now live in a society that has fallen and people in general don't seem to care about one another much anymore. I got amused reading something in the what was called the Christian Reader. Ed Erida, I think it's his last name, of Stowe, Ohio. He said, during his sermon, our pastor quoted Matthew 19, 19, love your neighbor as yourself. To emphasize the point, he asked three times with increasing intensity, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And each time a little boy behind us was answering him, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Well, when you begin to understand God's love, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to begin to focus on how much God loves you. Yeah, you. Think about it. Now, he knows all about you. When you begin to focus on how much God loves you, it's going to affect how you deal with other people. Now, a lot of people think, well, God just forgave us of our sin, and we're not going to hell. We're going to heaven when we die. But now the rest of the time, we've got to be real careful because God's about half mad at us all the time. That's not the love of God. God's forgiven you of all your sin. He knew everything about you before he ever forgave you. <laughs> he knows what you're like today. He still loves you. I want you to get this in your mind because until you understand and can begin to apply the love of God in your heart, you can't love other people. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. And that's what John is talking about. And so he said to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus did. You know, I got amused that one one cartoon I saw showed a man coming out the door and he's talking to his pastor. He said, I'd like to see you try to love my neighbor. <laughs> you ever thought about how difficult it was for Jesus to love the disciples? Now, before you get upset with me, I know he was perfect. I know he was God. I know he was man, but he was man. It tempted in all points like you and I, Right? So you can't tell me they didn't get on his last nerve every now and then. <laughs> Big mouth Peter, doubting Thomas, sons of thunder, John, James and John. They didn't know each other. Well, some of them did when they came, but some of the other guys that came in, they didn't like Matthew. He's a tax collector. Maybe that's why Jesus got away every now and then. I know he got away to pray, but maybe he got away because he was tempted to turn the disciples into something that he had the power to do. We glamorize them. We do. We glamorize them. Ah, the apostles. We put them up on a pedestal. They were just jerks like you and me. They had no clue. Jesus had to transform their lives. John said, there's also something new here. Now, you'll see the word old commandment, but a new commandment. Now, there's two words for new in the Greek. 
One is new of the same kind or new of a different kind. If you're a farmer, you got animals on your farm, I got a new cow, and now I've got a new horse, different kind. But if you got a, a, um, a Charlet cow over here, and now you get an Angus cow, you've got a new of the, not the same, well, that's not a good example, that's a different kind, but the fact is you've got a new of the same kind, the same essence. And John is saying, you've heard this, it's new, but it's much, much deeper. There's a new quality of meaning to it. It's because of the love of God in your heart. It's not because you have to do it. Those of you who are parents, why did you take care of your children? Now, I know child neglect's a problem, but I don't believe any of you here neglected your children. Why did you not neglect them? Were you afraid of being arrested? Did you get up in the morning and tell your husband, you know, you need to go to work and make some money because if we don't, we could be accused of child neglect. Or you told your wife, now you get up and fix breakfast and get them ready for school because we don't want the police to come and take us away and take us to jail. Why did you take care of your children? Because you love them. Now, I know there were times the law kept you from killing them. You never really seriously thought about it. But you took care of them because you love them. When you, when, when you understand the love of God in your, in your life and how much he loves you, it makes it easy to begin to love other people. And he used Christ as an example if you'll notice, he mentions it as he's the example of love. In verse 8, it says, A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Jesus told us to love our neighbor as ourself, but it came a reality in his day because Jesus did a couple of things. Notice the extent of Jesus' love. It's for everybody. Now, the religious people of the day, the rabbis, they had this attitude. They, uh, they basically said that sinners, there's joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated from the earth. And yet Jesus was the friend of publicans, tax collectors, and sinners. And he actually scandalized the Pharisees by saying that he had not come to call the righteous. He'd come to call sinners to repentance. Rabbis also said that Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to me. You see, the extent of Christ's love is for everyone. Now, if we, have God in our, if we have God's love in our life, what's the extent of our love? Hmm. Everyone. Also, you see the, ex the extreme that Jesus went to. And, the, and look at the extreme that God went to to save and love you. He paid the price. He came, lived among us, died on the cross, gave his life for us. He wanted you that bad. Would you want you that bad? 
I mean, think about the love that God has for you even now. And I want you to understand that when he saved you, he loved you, he still loves you. He still loves you like his child. And, and he uses Christ as the example. But then he mentions Christians are an extension of that love. In verse 9, it says, this commandment I write to you, which is in him, is true in him, and in you. True means genuine. It's the point of true, genuine love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your love for one, one for another. There were outward marks of identification. The people of Israel, people that followed Abraham's covenant were circumcised. You had those who followed Mosaic law, kept the Sabbath. You had those that followed the Pharisees' teaching, had phylacteries, had little scriptures on their forehead and on their arm. And you had those that followed the, John the Baptist being baptized by him. All external, but in the upper room, Jesus gave an internal sign. He said, this is how people are going to know you're genuine. This is how people are going to know you really are a follower of me. It's going to be your love for one another. (laughs) There are two types of people in the world, those who come into a room and say, here I am. Look at me. Then there are those who come into the room and say, there you are. We say we love people. I don't think anybody in here is going to call yourself a hateful person. We just don't do anything. Like the little girl, the little first grade girl who was over her friend's house, a first grader, and she's going to stay for dinner. And so the mom of the, of the household asked the little girl who was visiting, we're having buttered broccoli tonight as a vegetable. Do you like buttered broccoli? She said, oh, yes, ma'am, I love buttered broccoli. So when they sat down to eat, dishes were being passed around, but she didn't take any broccoli. And the mom asked the little girl, she said, well, I thought you said you loved broccoli. She said, oh, I love it. I love it. I just don't love it enough to eat it. Well, it's one thing for us to say we love people, but what does that mean? Well, let's take a further look at it. Because John then mentions the opposite or the paradox of love in verse 9 when he says, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother, he's in darkness until now. He states that darkness is passing away there are more and more lights coming into the world. We're, we're, the reflecting, we're reflecting the light, which is Jesus. But we live in a world of darkness, but not everybody is in the light. Would you agree? Don't we live in a world of darkness? So he says, first, there's a contradictory profession. A person who says they're in the light or walking in the light of God and that they're a Christ follower, but they hate their brother. They're still in darkness. They're walking in darkness, present tense. Continuously walking in darkness. Titus 3.3 said, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Would you agree with me that we live in a culture of hate right now? Whether it's in the political arena or in families or in the workplace or sometimes in churches, some of you will say, well, that's not me. I don't hate anybody, but I got some bad news for you. You're going to hate what I'm about to tell you. 
Now, when I hear, when you hear the word hate, you put emotion in it. I hate that. I hate that. I hate them. You, you have emotions built in it. That's part of it. And the Greek word maseo, M-I-S-E-O, can agree with that. But it also, maseo means to disregard, to ignore, to be indifferent toward, and it has no emotional attachment to it. It basically means to overlook people and be focused on ourselves. Oh my. We focused on ourselves today. We're making selfies. We're focused on ourselves all the time. John uses hate as a contrasting word for agape. Agape love is God's love for us. And agape love is not based on emotion. We talk about love based on emotion. I love my neighbor. I love this. I love, it's got emotion. God's love is a decision. It's a choice. The opposite of that, hate, is also a choice or a decision. There's no emotion involved in it. Now, obviously, we get all worked up and we say we're going to hate something. But basically, there's not anybody filled with anger and hatred in here today that wishes somebody would die. I hate them so much, I wish they were dead. But we can be indifferent to people. And we can be unforgiving. Some Christians will take vengeance on other Christians. It's, it manifests itself in a passive-aggressive way. Well, they did that to me. I'm just not ever going to do this for them again or whatever. But here's what I want you to see is that even though you know God loves you, if you haven't begun to comprehend the forgiveness and, God, and the love of God in your life and the fact that Christ now lives in you, then it's going to be ignored in other people. You're not going to show it there. It's amazing what people will do. Now, I was reading of an illustration I wanted to use today, and I've learned the hard way that before I tell you something as an illustration, I'm going to make sure it's true. And so I read about a man who built a spite house, S-P-I-T-E. He built it to spite somebody. His name was Joseph Richardson, a New York millionaire, a millionaire. What you see in the right-hand corner is the house that he built, and you see how it's attached to that other building? Well, that building that they were building, they wanted to buy that little track of land that Joseph Richardson owned. Now, granted, he's wealthy. He wanted $5,000. This is back in the 1800s. He wanted $5,000 for that little strip of land. They offered him three, but he, they wouldn't budge. And so, to show them, he built a five-foot-wide house, five feet. I'm taller than five feet. I'm six feet tall, used to be. <laughs> Still six feet tall. <laughs> Gravity's taking its toll on me, but I'm six feet tall. So this house isn't as wide as I am tall and 100 feet long and four stories high. That's a picture of it. Did you take it all? See it over here? And then he lived in it 
until he died. Two suites on each floor, five feet wide, a multimillionaire to spite them. I have a feeling there's people in the, within the sound of my voice who are still living in a spite house, even though it may not be a physical structure. They've got an emotional spite house or they, uh, spiritually speaking, they're still spiting somebody. Who does that hurt? Now, what's interesting, and don't do this now because I know you have smartphones, but do this after a while. Do a search on spite house and you're going to see how many come up all over the country. And the weirdest looking houses you can imagine. And they did it to spite their neighbors. <laughs> Another true story. Show the next picture. Every Easter, every Easter, in a little Greek village called Verontidas, I guess is how you say it. I may not be saying it correctly. Members of rival churches sitting across a small valley, one on each side, stage a rocket war by firing thousands of homemade rockets toward each other while services are held, trying to hit the bell towers of each church. You, you, you search it and you look for yourself, and some of those rockets, they make them all year been going on 125 years and they don't know how it started. <laughs> They've turned it into a tourist attraction. On Easter, you're going to shoot rockets at the church across the valley. The people in the valley have to put up all kinds of barriers to keep the rockets from falling on them. I got a feeling some of y'all are still shooting rockets at somebody else. You see, John said, when you understand the love of God in your own life, you're not going to live this way. Maybe that's what Paul meant when he said in Ephesians 3.17, to let our roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Because if your roots go down deep in the soil of God's love, then what's going to be coming out is going to be God's love toward other people. You won't ignore people. John goes on to mention a callous personality. And look at verse 11. But he who hates his brothers in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Our, our, our papers and news, news agencies are filled today with crimes of violence and unusual incidences of appalling, senseless violence. You know Why? Where's this coming from? The Lord stated in Matthew 24, 12, when wickedness abounds, the love of many shall grow cold. And when the moral life of a nation degenerates to the place where immorality and wickedness abound, then people's hearts begin to harden as a nation. We wind up doing what the Chinese proverb said, to hate is to cast sand into the wind. It blows back to sting no eyes but your own. John is saying, that's not a part of you. It's not who you are. 
You have been loved and forgiven by God and he still loves you and his resurrected life is now indwelling you and because of the love that you have from God, you can let that spill out on other people and he goes on to talk about that in verse 10. Notice the prominence of love. He who loves his brother abides in the light, lives out in the open and there's no cause for stumbling Isn't it amazing when people live in habitual sin that their actions directly affect other people and harm other people and other people find it easy, but when you walk in the light and you show God's love and you you walk out here and you live like you notice other people. If there was ever a group of people that are going to notice people, it's Christians. Our technology's not helping us. Coming home yesterday, airports were pretty crowded. A lot of people been stranded because of all the weather. It was hard to walk in a straight line. You want to know why? Because people were walking, looking at their phones. I came so close. We don't notice people anymore. We don't. Used to, you sat in a waiting room. You had to talk to people. Wasn't anything else to do. Nobody says a word anymore. They're on their phone. We don't know how to interact with people anymore. Technology's not helping us. But folks... If there's ever a group of people that ought to be showing the love of God, it's us. When they come in these rooms, people wonder, does anybody care? So hopefully you've spoken to at least one person. Or if you see someone sitting by themselves, we're not to be stumbling blocks. And I I really am going to make, I I see some of you, I've looked like I've offended people. Let me offend the rest of you while I'm at it. (laughs) If you're a Republican, God loves Democrats. If you're a Democrat, God loves Republicans. If you're an independent, he still loves you too. God loves Muslims. He loves communists. He loves socialists. Now, I don't agree with a lot of what I just mentioned to you, but there's no reason for me to be hateful toward anybody. In other words, when you love somebody, you recognize the worth of that person. You may not agree with the lifestyle. You may not agree with the political view. You may not agree with whatever about them. But you cannot have the love of God in your heart And really comprehend and understand that and be hateful to people. God loves people. And we're the the ones that have to show that. We're the ones that exist for the people who are not here yet. Joining a church won't give that to you. Some of the meanest people I've ever met were church people. In fact... I've never been treated by a lost man or a woman 
the way I've been treated by some church people. Not in here, not at Southcrest. I've outlasted them. <laughs> they gave up and left. But seriously, I'm thinking, why, why, are we, why are church people so mean? Religious people. Who did Jesus have the most trouble with? The religious people. The sinners were drawn to him. Religious people. You're you friend with them. I can't handle that. A man was walking down a dark alley. He saw a light coming his way. It was a little erratic in the dark. He thought it was a drunk man with a flashlight. When he got closer, he noticed the man had a white cane. He was blind. And he asked him, and he said, why, why are you, you can't see, why are you carrying a flashlight? He said, I'm not carrying it so that I can see. I'm carrying it so other people won't stumble over me. I don't want to be a stumbling block. Well, we don't want people to stumble over us. In the medical profession, this time of year, what, what some people call the blues, there's some people suffer from what's called seasonal affective disorder, SAD, S-A-D, seasonal affective disorder, which means when you don't get enough light, sunlight, some people experience depression and all kinds of things, and so they get sun lamps or, or, or lights that emit the kind of UV rays that the sun does that... I guess they're UV rays. Anyway, they say 20 or 30 minutes under a light or keeping your house well lit will help seasonal affected disorder. Light is the problem. Well, I'm going to tell you the worries in our world is sad, not because of seasonal affective disorder, but because they're in misery headed down the wrong path. It's because they're in darkness and they need the light of the world, Jesus Christ, in their life. Because John said, in him is life and he is the light of men. The light that Jesus offers is not seasonal, it's eternal. And so friends, what does that mean for you and me as I close? You can't go on living your life being hateful. If you've offended somebody, you need to apologize. If somebody's offended you, you need to forgive. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to tell you, if you show love, it's going to cost you something. Ask the Good Samaritan. Ask the lady who poured the fragrance on Jesus' feet. Ask the shepherd who left the 99 and went to look for the one. You see, it's going to cost you something. But when you understand how much God loves you, and how with all the warts and, and problems that you are and have, it sure makes it easy to love other people, doesn't it? You don't have to agree with all of them, and you're not going to be their best friend. And I'm not talking about emotional love. I'm talking about being kind and showing dignity to every person, even those that we think, oh, I'll be so glad when they're gone. Yeah, I would mention some names, but I'm not going to. And I've been convicted about it. You know what? I need to pray for these people because until they know the love of God, they're going to keep acting that way. You can't know this kind of love by joining a church. 
You can't know this kind of love by being baptized. You have to know this kind of love by committing your life to the one who loved you first and died for your sins and rose again. And when you commit your life to him, he puts his life, his resurrected, powered life in you and his love in you. And you then have the power to love when you understand how God loves you. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who don't know Jesus. They've been religious. They know the, they know the, the stuff to do. But I pray that they would know you as their Savior and Lord and that your love would permeate our lives. When we begin to understand who we are in you, it's much more than amazing. I, I lift up those who need to know Jesus, who would commit their lives to you right now. And Lord, for those who are believers in here who, who, who know they've been saved, but who are just walking around thinking that you're about half mad at them, would you let them know that you're not mad at them, that you love them? Would you help people to know that when they're not right with you and they're walking with that attitude, they can't love other people. They can't forgive other people. But thank you for your love for us. I lift up those who may be looking for a church, for those who are looking for a place to belong. If this is where you want them, you bring them here. Pray for those that need to be baptized. Be obedient like these today. Lord, I pray you'll bring people to you, not to the church, but to you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.